Yeah, so am I. So am I. It's been great being in romance, but it's also great leaving. What is it? I I hate it when you leave, but I love to watch you go romance. It's better to love and lost and never loved at all. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a great one. That's very deep. But mine was just about looking at people's butts. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I hate it when you leave, but I love to watch you go. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Pleasure of the Text podcast, a shared management space where readers and writers make meaning together. We are your hosts, Shannon and Gareth. Good morning, Shannon. How are you going? I'm going really well today, and I'm excited because it's the day. It's finally arrived. It's our book off between <laughs> our, book our off. romance books. <laughs> I think we've just made a new slur. Book off. <laughs> book off. Yes. Um, so, yeah, no, we both read uh, romance novels, two different romance novels, and so we can interrogate yeah, each other. Oh, yes, I have mine here. Uh, so I read and will be reviewing Honey and Spice by Bolu Babalola. Uh, and, and you've got book I lovers? read Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Yes. Okay. Um, who wants to go first? Should I, should I start us off? Yeah, jump right in. All right. So, you know, as you know, um, writing a synopsis is an, an enormous chore. And because these conversations are a thing of pleasure for me, I've just stolen the synopsis from Kirkus Reviews. So thank you, Kirkus Reviews. Great place to go for synopses. Uh, so here's the synopsis of Honey and Spice. In a nutshell, a black British university student explores love and friendship on her radio show in The Shining Romance debut. All right, long form. Lona Kikiola Kiki Banjo is perfectly content with her Switzerland-esque social status at Whitewell College. Uninterested in making any political or social waves, Kiki dedicates all her energy to Brown Sugar, her show on the college radio station. Her college, called Blackwell by the school's Black Caucus, is home to a number of cliques and queen bees, but Kiki prefers to stay behind the mic when dealing with any drama between Blackwellian babes and the guys she dubs waste men. Quote, they waste our time, waste our energy. Armed with a sharp tongue and her producer best friend, Amina, Kiki hopes the show will land her a spot at New York University's elite summer pop media program, but she needs a community component to really seal the deal. Enter hot transfer Malachi Karedi, a film student and fresh manner from heaven. Despite his recent arrival, his more than good looks and charisma have already pitted the independent Blackwell women against each other, and even Kiki finds it difficult to withstand his effortless charm. After an impromptu makeout session spurs their unexpected friendship, Kiki and Malachi decide to combine forces and fake date to add to the credibility of Brown Sugar and provide audio for his romance documentary. Suddenly, the walls Kiki built around herself come tumbling down as her relationship with Malachi turns them into local celebrities, and she must come to terms with what it means to step out from the recording booth and actually be seen. Babalola's debut novel is lyrical and sincere, her prose rhythmic. Quote, My smile had had enough of being trapped and spilled out, wide and brazen and messy, dripping everywhere. It soaked through my clothes and into my skin. 
Kiki is the epitome of cool. Her dialogue oozes with confidence and her biting wit rolls off her tongue with ease, leaving readers wishing they could play her clever disses on repeat like their favourite song. So that pretty much... uh, Yeah. No, please, please. So dating Malachi makes her a celebrity? Uh, Yes, because it is very cliquey. And essentially, you know, he's the good-looking guy in town. Uh, and so it's a big deal. But then also they they do a, a segment on her show where couples talk about being couples. And in a sense, they're a power couple. Um, and so, yeah, she's a, she's a celebrity within the Blackwellian community. The notion of celebrity is very understated, I have to say. Yeah. Um, it, it's not a major factor in the story but it is interesting because she's trying to build credibility uh by faking a relationship and that's just an interesting way to be credible uh in in my view um what's interesting about that too is brown sugar her radio show is is where she gives dating advice to people but she doesn't date um she does have her guy uh, Zach, who is, uh, as it ter- well, pretty much from the start, he's a kind of a pantomime villain. He's, he's very one note. He's just a bad guy. Um, but and for it, some reason, she sees him for, I believe. But he's Sorry. her guy, even though he's a bad guy. Yeah, but it's all on the down low. He wants people to know they're together, probably, but she doesn't. And they're together, I think, nine months. Uh, and that's interesting because he's such an obviously bad guy. And then we find out, and she doesn't have a lot of respect for him. In fact, her descriptions of him are quite um, quite brutal. But nevertheless, she hooks up with him for a very extended period of time. And it's not a it's not a dating situation, but she's giving this dating advice, and her dating experience is is virtually nil, as far as I can tell. Yeah, so she's definitely not qualified. No, it's quite weird. I mean, she um, she talks about people not being sincere and, and wasting people's time, but then she creates this fake relationship, drawing people in and not being real and wasting their time. Um, so that's, you know, I mean, there's a, a sort of a, that's somewhat troubling. I found that, you know, it's a long book. It's It's over 400 pages and it could have been, shorter most certainly um as a as a as a sort of a, a a point of process i always read other people's reviews and this book gets rave reviews from virtually everyone like five stars across the board so and i want to i want to note that because i think you know it's important your reading is your reading and i'm not suggesting for a moment that my reading is uh, lesser in some way than everyone else's. But I think it's worth noting that I am one of the outlier reader reviewers who did not think this was a great book. I'm going to talk about where I think it's problematic and and then I want to talk about where I think it's strong. Um, So the review that most clearly mirrors mine um, is the Guardian review. I'm just going to read you a little bit of that. So 
<clears throat> quote, Kiki makes for an entertaining narrator, and the novel's countless witty lines come mainly from her inner monologue. As the book opens, she's fleeing after a one-night stand with a fellow student who fancies himself as the campus Casanova, but whose, quote, 50-thread count sheet, 50-thread count sheet, scratched against my calves. I should note that there is a mention that they've been hooking up for a while, so it's not really a one-night stand. He embraces her cheesily in front of a mirror, quote, it only took a few seconds for his eyes to flit from me, from us, to his own reflection. His bottom lip had tucked in. It was honestly like a very uncomfortable threesome where two people were way more into each other than they were you. Uh, and that's a that's a really great example of her snappy inner monologue. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I love that. I think that's brilliantly written. <clears throat> Continuing with the review, immediately after this, Kiki meets Malachi and the real engine of the novel starts up. The story often drifts into a heavily Americanized snap and sass sitcom register, which sits oddly with its UK red brick university setting. While the general descriptions, reported actions and exchanges between characters can be strained and clunky. However, the central uh, couple have a beguiling sweetness and Babalola skillfully imbues their scenes with a tender innocence that is romantic. So I, I think that's a very fair overview of, of what's happening. The the wit in the book is all in the inner monologue. Yeah. And Kiki almost seems to be a different person to the narrator Kiki. The, the, the one that actually speaks in dialogue is a far less interesting character than the character from her inner monologue. And, and that is, you know, plausible. People can be, I think, perhaps more entertaining internally than they choose to be out in the world. But there does seem to be this, uh, this disconnect, um, which, which I found difficult to deal with. You would swear it was set in an American university. And often I found myself forgetting that Whitewell College is actually um, in the UK. That seems to change over time. There's a lot more British slang that seems to fall into the novel as it unfolds, but certainly early on, these characters are all um, all beautiful. It's very yeah, it's very cliquey. There there are people walking around in togas. It has a very American kind yeah, of yeah, that's very uh, American vibe with the red cups. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. Yes. And the settings are perhaps not that well drawn at times, the sense of place. Um, and also, you know, no one ever seems to go to class. The characters seem a bit young. Um, obviously, I'm somewhat removed from my university days, but nevertheless, they do read rather more like high school students. Um, and I've noticed that was something that a number of critics have sort of said, I think this book maybe isn't for me or I'm too old for it because they feel like high school students. And I think actually, you know, clearly this book is not written for me. I'm not a romance reader uh, as such. So, you know, that has to be acknowledged. But um, nevertheless, it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, you can read kids' books and be drawn in by the characters. Um I think the book deals really well with the issue of race on campuses. And I really felt it gave me an insight into what it would be like to be part of a minority. 
because, you know, at, at university, um, so I went to art school and I was popular there. And then I went to and then you uh, left a regular and you university went. and I wasn't, I, uh, it was, yeah, it was. So, so I went to being sort of popular to being a loner, really. Uh, I don't think I've ever been part of minority. And so, and that, that is a really different dynamic. Um, uh, so that, those bits were really interesting to me. Um, but I think the novel, the, the real struggle within the novel is that there are familiar tropes. The fake relationship is a familiar trope. The novel follows, uh, a predictable course from two characters who don't really get on, get to know each other, fall in love, have an incident and then reconcile at the end. So I suppose I should be chucking in a spoiler alert right now, but honestly, <laughs> modern romance, do they not all follow that pattern? So I, I'm not sure there's an issue with me saying any of that. Yeah. The issue that I have with the novel, the thing that, that really breaks the novel down for me is that I never quite managed to be pulling for Kiki. Uh, she starts out as a fairly like obnoxious character, she is extremely superior, um, which I didn't mind actually. I think, you know, it can be quite funny. And a lot of these zingers about Zach, her guy that she's seeing on the side, um, are really quite funny. And, you know, I, I, I sort of happy for her to be a, a terrible character. Um, yeah. And she does soften as the book unfolds. And there is a particular moment when Malachi, her love interest, has a has a um, a run in with his father, and she really sees him. There's a there's a empathy in those scenes and the way she deals with him. That at that point, and that's actually sort of the point where they really fall in love. I kind of fell in love a bit with Kiki at that point. I was like, yeah, okay, I see it now. This is in her. Great. However, it never comes back. It, it that's it. That was her crowning moment, and the point of conflict between them feels incredibly contrived. Um, Babalola puts a lot of work into trying to to dance around that by having Kiki fighting with herself as she's uh, really laying into Malachi for no apparent reason. Um, but it's difficult to reconcile with with the characters and the shape of the novel. I think those two things actually clash quite badly. Um, there's a there's a there's a little bit. I just want to read you one tiny bit. Early on in the novel, she goes to see Doctor Miller. Doctor Miller's kind of like her her mentor. So I'll just read you this little bit. Doctor Miller raised a brow. Kiki, when you're put in a group, you don't give space for other people's ideas. This is uh, when Dr. Miller's saying you should work with Malachi. Uh, she doesn't suggest they fake a relationship, but just that they work together. Um, yeah, Kiki leaves no space for others' ideas. And that sums up the character of Kiki exactly. With that scene with Malachi and his father, Malachi... This, the, Malachi's voice, even though he's not the one speaking, suddenly is there. Like Malachi's voice in Kiki, the empathy is there. Yeah. Um, 
but it doesn't happen anywhere else, and it's it's really odd. And and I do think that the the problem that um, Babalola is struggling with is the trying to stick to these tropes and trying 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 to stick to a very rigid format, whilst also trying to expand beyond it. And I, I don't think she's entirely successful. And a really good example of this for me is the character of Amina. Amina is her best friend. And every now and again, Amina will reveal something about herself that I, as a reader, already understood about her. And Kiki is stunned. She's like, is that right? Oh, I didn't <laughs> see that. Um, and I find that bizarre because she's supposed to be very clever, uh, very intuitive. And yeah, I mean, and on certain levels she is, but clearly like with this best friend who she really cares about, she doesn't seem to know her at all. And I, I find that very strange. The 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 thing that makes Kiki um, damaged to begin with is an incident where her best friend at school, Rian, has a boyfriend called Niall. Niall takes Kiki to a party. Uh, Kiki's mother has cancer. And so the idea is he's just showing her a good time. But he isn't. He's a terrible guy. And he gets her drunk. And he makes a pass at her and, tr- and tries to get her to have sex with him. She's not into it, or she's a little bit into it for a moment, and then thinks, what am I doing? Pushes him off, runs out. He then goes to Rian, her best friend, and says, Kiki jumped my bones. What a terrible person. And her whole friend group block her on their phones, and she becomes an outcast. So in the middle of the novel, Rian gets in touch with her. And, and basically f- contrives a way to meet with her and says, you know, I'm sorry, this guy was messing me up. He was controlling me. He was lying to me. Essentially, he was an abusive boyfriend. He was a predator. And Amina, once Rian comes onto the scene, you know, says, well, I guess you're going to be best friends with her now. And Kiki assures her that that cannot be the case, that they have bonded and that's what it is. And I think this is a terrible bit of the book because i mean rian is a real victim in this situation and was obviously a victim really from the point when when kiki got pushed away from her friendship group she would have been aware that this guy was trying to control her best friend instead of fighting for a best friend trying to protect a best friend she just goes away and it's it's really all about her now, I recognize that she was going through other things, and so you can kind of allow for that. But when Rian gets back in touch with her and all is forgiven, it's a, like a passing thought. And you would think that there would be a lot more complexity to this for Kiki. Uh, you know, as a person in the world who, who loves people and, and has human connections, it, it seemed bizarre to me that this is just a brush off moment. Yeah. And there you know there is that trope in romance the the triangle the love triangle. Now one thing this book does beautifully is present female relationships female friendships and I and I really enjoyed that aspect of it. How on earth did that trope not become a central figure in this book that in a sense Kiki has to somehow reconcile her her friendship with both Rihanna and Amina? Two besties. You can't have two besties. How does that work? And I actually think that should have been the complication that pushes Malachi away. I think her her involvement with that 
could have been the thing that pushed him away. It would have been far more organic, far more in terms of the character's narrative arcs. It would have made far more sense. But I think Babalola kind of set up a structure and she's a very good writer. And she tries so hard to write her way through that structure, but I just don't think she nails it. Um, nevertheless, it is a very well written book in terms of the inner monologue. Uh, yeah. Like full stars for that. I think the Babalola is a really engaging writer. I think she'd be um, an amazing uh, op-ed kind of writer. Um you know, cultural criticism and, and so forth. And I believe she does some of that and it, it really shows. Uh, the dialogue is clunky at times, uh, particularly the dialogue attribution, a lot of smiling, smirking, winking, glinting eyes. There's a lot of a, an attempt to control how the reader sees the interactions unfold. And there's a lot of them and they're quite slow. So that, that aspect is not so great. Um, but, the the sex scenes are well there's not really sex scenes there's a, a bit of a sex scene uh they are very well written um and as you know shannon it's not easy to write a sex scene we uh, found we that know out last that. week and the first kiss the first kiss is beautifully written and in a sense they have a second first kiss and that is also beautifully written so i think that um my, my sense is Babalola has written another book called um, Love in Colour, and those are short stories. And I think that would probably play to her strengths at this point in, in her writing journey. Um, I suspect I'd really like Love in Colour uh, because the where the book falls down really is in this larger narrative structure. Yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think, I think it's, a, it's a commendable effort to try to work with very rigid tropes but i reckon it's also maybe a bit of a missed opportunity so i'm giving this one three stars mm. and we had this discussion before because obviously we don't read uh romance genre is it three stars within romance or is it three stars in just a general book that you pick up yeah so <clears throat> it's the latter I um I think it is possible, and you see this in sci-fi and horror and and, and crime. Uh, they are perhaps I mean they have a lot of tropes, but there is a lot more flexibility in those genres. Somebody needs to take the romance genre and push it more. Uh, these tropes are, I think, suffocating. What could be great works? Mm. Um. And you want a happy ending, probably, if it's a romantic comedy, which I guess this is. I just noticed romantic that your name is not, Grumps. Not necessarily. Yeah, I put my name down as Grumps because I thought everyone loves this book and here I am, just an old <laughs> white guy. Going, you sound like it now. Yeah, yeah, I'm a real pain in the butt. But, I mean, the, the thing is, you know, it, it would be it would be really disrespectful, I think, to say – for a romance novel, this is a great book. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think – I think Babalola deserves more respect than that, so I'm not going to say that. And I – as a reader, I tend to be able to engage with books if they're well-written. And this one is, for the most part, well-written, but I think it has a fatal flaw. For me, it did. Um, in that I, 
I just never really cared if Kiki and Malachi got together. Um, I, uh, there were points where I was trying to care <laughs> and, you know, I liked Malachi, but Malachi is a fantasy. Um, not because he's a decent human being, which he is, but there are just too many things he does uh, that belie what he says about himself. He, he's structured to accommodate Kiki. And so is Amina. Amina, uh, gets angry at Kiki when Kiki needs someone to get angry at her, as opposed to all the other times when she probably should have. Uh, the people who are against Kiki at the beginning are not really against her, and they go out of their way to prove this to her, and then they're, and then they're, then she's good with them. Yeah. So you know, as a character, she's very guarded. She's very judgmental and very blind to her own weaknesses. So you know, those are hard characters to root for. And in a book where you didn't have to root for them, it wouldn't be a problem. But in this book, uh, I think it is. Yeah, I agree because um, I also tried to read Honey and Spice so we can have, you know, two perspectives. And I don't think I can get past uh, the third chapter just because Kiki's character is just so, can I say unlovable? It's really hard to engage in her space within the novel. It is. And 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 clearly you know the idea is that she warms up and she does warm up and there is that high point mm. with malachi um and, and but the, here again you get into this problem where so she has some trauma and i've touched on it uh with her mother you know getting cancer and this horrible nile guy who um you know tries to force a sexual liaison with her those are not small things, but it it sort of the, the, her character is so difficult to like. I kind of thought when the scene with Nile was happening, I got really worried that it was going to be a lot worse than it turned out to be, and I was really glad that she got away without it being really bad. Yeah, and absolutely, it couldn't have been really bad, right? Because this wouldn't be a rom com anymore; it just wouldn't work. But her character feels more damaged than someone who's had these experiences should be, by my estimation. Um, I just found it hard to believe. And likewise with Malachi, the damage he seems to have suffered from his father's hypocrisy, his father's a hypocrite, he seems so damaged by it. And yet he happily becomes a hypocrite himself to get what he wants by, by setting up this fake relationship. And I, I really, you know, I mean, and they're clearly falling in love, but apparently neither of them are, are sure that's happening. And again, these are things that are supposed to happen in romance books, but that's not the way it's working on the page. And so you're sort of being told it's this other thing that you're not seeing. And to a large extent, you're being asked to believe that you're a heck of a lot smarter and more perceptive than the characters are. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I know myself, I'm not that smart and perceptive. So I sort of think, oh. uh, mm. so yeah, for me, it just, it just doesn't hold up. And I think she missed that great friendship trope because if that had been the central complication, that would have been very romantic. It wouldn't have uh, negated her relationship with Malachi I think it would have highlighted it. And I think that could have been really amazing. I think that would have been an incredible way for her to have gone 
Yeah. From what you're telling me, it does sound like it's a book for children or young adults because the scene where... Yeah, young adults. Yeah, because the scene where um, the party where she gets hit on or a pass made at her by what was the character's name? Niall. Niall. The, the guy who... Yeah. Yeah. So she gets hit on by Niall and, you know, I'm a woman, I've been to parties and that shit's happened to me before. And, you know, parents or grandparents or uncles and aunts having cancer, these are normal adult things that we deal with. Um, And instead of handling it head on and talking to a friend about it, she's just left. That's very high school immature. And then when Rianne and her other friend Amina uh, coming into the picture and it's like, well, am I your best friend now or is she your best friend? It seems to be this, yeah, immature seems to be the right word for it, it what you've told me. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the, the reviews mention that it seems to be aimed at a young adult audience and so in a sense, if that's the case, I suppose it does make sense that the characters perhaps behave a, a little more youthfully yeah. than they probably should at the age they are. Mm. Um, and how old are they? But having the said characters? that, you know, well, Kiki is in her second year of university, so nineteen twenty. Okay, so I that assume, is quite young. Something like that. I would say that's young adultish. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I mean, certainly, I, uh, it felt a lot more like a high school thing than a uni thing to me. Uh, and I do think that moving out of home, you know, the, the British have this thing where you you go away to uni, which uh, which I think is a great thing. I feel it, it, it does age you a bit quicker. I think if anything, Australian students would be more likely to be a bit immature. Uh, and I'm quite certain I wasn't hanging out with a particularly mature crowd when I was at university. Uh, they wouldn't have had me. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it felt young to me and a lot of the other reviewers seem to think that it was very much a young adult novel aimed at that audience, um, which, you know, is fine. But it, it, again, the reality of the characters and the intentions and the structures and the tropes all just seem to grate on each other. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I think, I think it would have been good if, um, She'd let the tropes go, let the story find itself and then work the tropes in or even just, you know, recognize that there was this amazing trope. And I really, I, I can't stress this enough. I think if if there had been a friendship love tri- uh, triangle, a platonic female friendship love triangle as the centerpiece of the book, it would have made sense in terms of her trauma and her growth and she – you know, brown sugar is um, is about female solidarity and you know avoiding uh, waste men and not attacking each other over men, and and so it just makes so much sense, and it's right there. And then Rianne just disappears, and it's I I don't know why that's there except maybe just to tie it off in a happy ending in the middle of the book. You know, we've sorted that, moving on. Um, but it, yeah, it just feels like an enormously wasted opportunity. Yeah. Well, okay. So uh, yeah, if a younger reader, uh, might really enjoy this. Um, and, uh, I know I just started back up again, but I was just thinking I should, I should hmm. tie this off, uh, as per the genre 
I think younger readers would really enjoy this. I think um, that uh, possibly there, there, the current young generation has has a different set of preoccupations to to That's my so generation. They're in a different generation, <laughs> um, and I think they they might relate to this a little more. Um, but I want to see Babalola stretch out. I think she has the writing ability to do something with the romance genre. And I'd like to see her try and do that next time. Oh, that's a very nice wrap up there. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to jump into mine and uh, just. Thank ahead. God. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed that Gareth because clearly you are fresh. When did you finish the book? Because that was a lot of details and mine's going to be a bit more sparse because I finished this over almost two months ago now. I finished mine yesterday, uh, not because it took me that much longer to read it. I, I got to it much later in the piece. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, Book Lovers. Book What's it Lovers all about? By he- uh, Emily Henry. So, I'm going to read a quick, quick synopsis from Goodreads. So, our main character, Nora Stephens' life is books. She reads them all and she is not that type of heroine. Not the plucky one, not the laid-back dream girl, and especially not the sweetheart. In fact, the only people Nora is a heroine for are her clients, for whom she lends enormous deals as a cutthroat literary agent and her beloved little sister, Libby, which is why she agrees to go to Sunshine Falls, North Carolina, for the month of August, when Libby begs her for a sister's trip away, with visions of a small-town transformation for Nora, who she's convinced needs to become the heroine in her own story. But instead of picnics in meadows or run-ins with a handsome country doctor or bulging four-armed bartender, Nora keeps bumping into Charlie Lustra, a bookish brooding editor from back in the city. It would be a meet-cute if not for the fact that they've met many times and it's never been cute. If Nora knows she's not an ideal heroine, Charlie knows he's nobody's hero. But as they are thrown together again and again, In a series of coincidences no editor worth their salt would allow, what they discover might just unravel the carefully crafted stories they've written about themselves. So that is... Wow, that sounds really meta. Would that be the word? The part of the end? Well, yeah, you know, the editor wouldn't allow for this to happen. It's, it's It's a book that's kind of aware of its space as a book. Is that is that right? Yeah, but Charlie's job is an editor. Hmm. So I think maybe that's why they've mentioned it. So, yeah, it is aware of itself as a book and throughout the book there's a lot of references to other authors and other books. So it's really cool uh, in that regard. There's even a reference to Salmond Rushdie, which I really enjoyed, especially after what's happened over there. Uh, so as yeah. if on cue, the doctor, a balding man with a salmon rush de goatee and brow, walks out of the exam, exam room. So that was great. Nice. Um, so I loved the start of this book. To me, it was like, yep, I'm, I'm on this train. I'm ready to go toot because uh, what she does, and I want to read it out because I think this prologue is spectacular. And let me know if I'm reading for too long. Can I read so much? Um mm. Yeah, go for it. No one's listening. When books are your life or, (laughs) hey, how dare you? We have some pretty amazing (laughs) audience. (laughs) We do. We do. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, when books are your life, or in my case, your job, you get pretty good at guessing where a story is going. The tropes, the archetypes, the common plot twists all start to organize themselves into a catalog inside your brain, divided by category and genre. The husband is the killer. The nerd gets a makeover, and without her glasses, she's smoking hot. The guy gets the girl, or the other girl does. Someone explains a complicated scientific concept, and someone else says, um, in English, please. The details may change from book to book, but there's nothing truly new under the sun. Take, for example, the small town love story. The kind where a cynical hotshot from New York or Los Angeles gets shipped off to small town USA to, like, run a family-owned Christmas tree farm out of business to make room for a soulless corporation. But while said city person is in town, things don't go to plan. Because, of course, the Christmas tree farm or bakery or whatever the hero has been sent to destroy is owned and operated by someone ridiculously attractive and suitably available for wooing. Back in the city, the lead has a romantic partner, someone ruthless, who encourages him to do what he set out to do and ruin some lives in exchange for the big promotion. He feels calls from her during which she interrupts him, barking heartless advice from the seat of her Peloton bike. You can tell she's evil because her hair is in an unnatural blonde, slicked back a la Sharon Stone in basic instinct, and also she hates Christmas decorations. As the hero spends more time with the charming baker, seamstress, tree farm person, things change for him. He learns the true meaning of life. He returns home transformed by the love of a good woman. There he asks his ice queen girlfriend to take a walk with him. She gapes, says something like, in these Manolos, which I'm guessing are shoes. It would be fun, he tells her. On the walk, he, he might ask her to look up at the stars. She snaps, you know I can't look up right now. I just got Botox. And then he realizes he can't go back to his old life. He doesn't want to. He ends his cold, unsatisfying relationship and proposes to his new sweetheart who needs dating. At this point, you find yourself screaming at the book. You don't even know her. What's her middle name, bitch? From across the room, your sister Libby hushes you, throws popcorn at your head without lifting her gaze from her own crinkly covered library book. And that's why I'm running late to this lunch meeting. Because that's my life. The trope that governs my days. The archetype over which my details are superimposed. I'm the city person, not the one who meets the hot farmer, the other one. The uptight, manicured literary agent reading manuscripts from atop her peloton while a serene beach scene screen saver, oh my gosh, that's wordy, while a serene mm. beach scene screen saver drifts unnoticed across her computer screen. I'm the one who gets dumped. I've read this story and lived it enough to know what's happening again right now as I'm weaving through late afternoon foot traffic in Midtown, my phone clutched to my ear. He hasn't said it yet, but the hairs on the back of my neck are rising, the pit opening in my stomach as he manoeuvres the conversation towards a cartoon-style drop off a cliff. Grant was, okay, anyway, so now it goes into that. So we've set up this amazing scene where our heroine is not the typical heroine. Uh, And this goes into a review also on Goodreads. The beginning was reading like a possible four-star, no hope for a five, then out of nowhere I was hit with a five-star feeling. I was sure this would be the best Emily Henry I'd read. And then, alas, it petered out pretty quickly. 
It did the classic romance killer, which is to have the couple get together too soon and fill the last half of the book with plot that has nothing to do with the romance. Okay. So I, I feel that with this book. Yeah. I mean, she feels like she, uh, she's genuinely trying to push out of these tropes, right? Like yeah. she's the uh, working girl. She's Sigourney Weaver. You know, uh, mm-hmm. not Melanie Griffiths. I, you know, I, I know. Why am I referencing eighties movies? <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, she's the she's the horrible Manolo vapid girlfriend who doesn't Botox really like him, injected. but he's just another accessory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and humanizing that character, who's not that obviously, like no one's that. Uh, that yeah. sounds like a great idea. Yeah. So what happened? So it- so what happened was, um, and again, it's the issue with Kiki in your story. You have you've set this amazing anti trope up, if you will. You're trying to escape this pathway, and people see her as this literary agent, and she'll do anything for her clients, which does happen. But I wanted her to do something that does entail because throughout this whole book she has this internal conflict that no one loves her because she's the shark of a a literary agent of the world well in new york new New york is not the world um but she does not do anything that makes me as a reader believe that in any way Mm. so she's just kind of this conflicted girl so in terms of a character arc them learning that does not exist but There's two elements to this book. There's the romance between our main character and Charlie. And then there's also, and this other side, which I think was amazingly done. Why is Nora like the way she is? Again, humanizing this character that we don't fall in love with in the rom-com. It's the other woman that gets dumped. And it follows along the lines that their mum, oh, spoilers alert everyone as well for this book. So her younger sister and Nora were living in New York and this mum was trying to become an actor and we all know how difficult, not that I've tried, but I can imagine it would be very difficult and she never gets anywhere. Very hard, yeah. Yeah, and so the mum dies and uh, the responsibility of keeping their family together and not going into, um, what's the word, foster care or something like that, Nora steps up and becomes a working woman and she gets shit done. And so this is the narrative she's written about herself and she goes out into the world. Um, she becomes a literary agent, but secretly in her heart she wants to become an editor, but she's just had huge success in this literary agent space. She become an editor, you've got to go to the bottom and start up again, and she just can't do it because she still has this mentality. She has to look after her sister Libby. Um, so, yeah, towards the end of the book, oh, you go. I just, I just wanted to just say to our listeners and viewers, I, I've met literary agents. Uh, they're lovely people. The, the thing is they're advocates for writers and they have a lot of influence on how writers are perceived by publishers. So it is actually a very creative position. It's a, uh, you know, they, they usually take a, a fixed percentage and that, you know, that going in. So then it's not like they're cutthroat with the writers. They don't kind of, you know, I'm taking 40%. You have to fight them. It's nothing like that. Um, I think that a literary agent is much higher up the tree than uh, a regular editor. There are sort of the top editors that have quite a bit of power and they sit 
almost on the level of publishers, but most editors are just grinding away, fixing fixing people's worst impulses. Um, so in a way, it's like a, a princess meeting a peasant, that narrative. But I, I just think it should be said that there's no particular reason for her to be a terrible person as a literary agent. Uh, it's not a job requirement. Um, and in re- many ways, literary agents, you know, I mean, they have to be charming. They, they have to inspire confidence, their judgment, because they go to publishers and say, I found someone, they're great, read this book. If they have poor judgment, the publishers will go, yeah, no, nah, stop wasting my time. So, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd mention that because there, there seems to be an assumption uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. And so um- – Prologue, we meet the love interest, Charlie, Charlie Lastra, who's an editor for a publishing house that she has a manuscript and she wants him to edit it and she wants to get it published by this publishing house. Um, he flat off the bat says, I don't like this manuscript for X reasons. And from this point on, you know, this is the trope. I get, she's fallen into the trope, unfortunately, of, um, you know, the main characters not liking each other. But to me, this was not a good enough reason for her not to like our our love interest, Charlie Lastroff, because he just said, I don't like it for these reasons. And she's like, now you're my professional nemesis. I mean, he wouldn't have the authority to do that either. Uh, <laughs> publishers yeah. make those decisions. Uh, that's quite weird. Um, but all right, yeah. So, so he's, yeah, he's said no. Mm-hmm. Are his reasons good? What, what, is it, what are his reasons? Do you recall? Oh, you're, this is professional interest on your end? A little bit, yeah. I should just tell you, I found Fielding's new book unreadable. My jaw drops. Next page. He turns his water glass in place. Her best is the glory of small things, he says. Like three seconds of eye contact was enough to read my most inner thoughts, and he knows he's speaking for both of us. Um, I say this book is every bit as good. It's just different, less subdued maybe, but that gives it a cinematic edge. Less subdued, Charlie squints. That's like saying Charles Manson was a lifestyle guru. It might be true, but it's hardly the point. This book feels like someone watched that Sarah McLaughlin commercial for animal cruelty prevention and thought, but what if all the puppies died on camera? So I think he's talking about the character's don't seem real than one dimension and he doesn't like the place that it's set in and it is set in sunshine falls in north carolina and we don't really understand why he doesn't like its setting and he says that the writer's never been to that place obviously because in two years later they end up in sunshine falls and that's actually where he's from originally Ah. Uh. Well, yeah. So, I mean, he's a very strange editor. Um, he's got all this power you know, and good I looks. Mean, I, yeah, and I, I think she's right. He's being a bit of a dick. Um, I mean, as an editor, you don't always love the things you edit. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. Uh, but you, you really do focus on the strengths and try and think, how am I going to navigate the weaknesses, how much time will it take to uh, get this into the shape it needs to be in. If this writer 
had a success with their previous book, yeah. that would be a strong motivation to make it work. And so his absolute reluctance to engage, yeah, I I, I can see. I, I take it personally too as a literary agent. I'd be like, what's this guy's problem? He's behaving oddly. Um, okay, but you but wouldn't I mean, be again, like, this you know, is my where, professional nemesis. This is now my professional nemesis. Not professional nemesis, nemesis but I, I'd, be th- I'd be sort of thinking I'm going to go around this person, go straight to the publisher and say, you know, what are you doing? Uh, or I'd, you know, think that maybe he'd had some sort of nervous breakdown or something. Um, obviously, a lot of readers probably don't know the ins and outs of the publishing industry, so this probably sits fine. So I will shut up and we will say this is exactly how agents and editors behave. Then what happens? Uh, So then two years later, she ends up in Sunshine Falls with her sister who is pregnant. Sister Libby sees her sister cutthroating as a literary agent, being the shark, and she wants Libby to fall in – no, she wants Nora. Libby, the sister, wants Nora to fall in love with someone like that country. So making Nora the heroine of the story – and they believe the right way to do that is go to this small country town in the middle of nowhere. So they go there and Charlie happens to be there. And she's like, what? My professional nemesis here. What are you doing here? One of the strengths of this book is that the banter between Nora and Charlie is fantastic. Like they've got this really cool, quirky, sassy, actually sassy and enjoyable, not I'm being a bitch sassy, but you know, I'm just being sassy. So amazing banter. And kind of what this review says is these characters get together quite early on. There's a first kiss at the door um, and then he goes in to say, oh, look, Nora, I'm sorry. but And then she takes. So actually the whole book is kind of very um, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Like there's a lot of misunderstandings on Nora's end. Mm -hmm. And then towards the end of the book, it kind of gets wrapped up. But you know, he was going to say, look, I really like you within like this was a, a third of the way, a quarter of the way into the book, but he doesn't get to finish because he says he can't go back to New York and be with her because he's staying there to look after his parents. His mum can't work because she just seems to not have her head screwed on properly and the dad has had multiple heart attacks. So, um, and he, the dad was a builder, but they own a small bookstore in Uh, sunshine falls and that's why he's decided to stay there and give up his career as an editor and look after his family and the best part of the book and this is where we not the best part but when we go away from those tropes and there's this love the trope of the love triangle there's a few love triangles here and i feel like i'm going all over the place but i'll I'll try and tie it off in a pretty bow like you did gareth so (laughs) the love triangles in terms of that romantic essence um Enter Charlie's cousin, who also lives in Sunshine Falls. So she goes on a couple of dates with him because Libby sets them up and it's like, this is perfect small country town boy you're going to fall in love with. Nora kind of uh, amuses her and goes on these dates. But I, as a reader, know this is not a legitimate um, alternative for Nora because her banter and her relationship with Charlie has already been well established. There's never any second guessing on my part. So I don't know if that was intentional, putting this trope in and letting it kind of peter out because, again, I think she is trying to set up that our tropes and I'm going to go against them. So maybe that's what she was trying to do. And then there's the love triangle on Nora between 
Charlie, picking Charlie and her sister because Nora has this very protective feeling towards her sister and she has to do everything for the sister, which kind of gets resolved in the end. And Libby's like, you need to let me live my own life and etc. Um, so there's that love triangle like there. Who does Nora choose between the sister and that family relationship, which is really strong, or Charlie? Because that does come up. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, there's another element in there because Nora actually chooses to go back to New York and pursue her career, leaving Charlie and Libby in Sunshine Falls. And I wish the book had ended there because the character arc of Nora is letting other, well, especially her sister, living her life to make sure her sister is fine, her clients are fine, and everyone else is fine, not looking after her own needs. But her going to New York without any of them would have been her growing as that main character. Yeah, um, but I then, see. obviously, for the ending of a romance, Charlie comes back and is like, look, I'm here, let's be together. That's kind of the final chapter. So he does go back to New York. Yes, he does. And he he leaves his parents. So because Libby moved to Sunshine Falls, she's decided to now take over the bookstore and look after the parents so he can go be with Nora. Okay, so that's that's a very romantic thing for her to do. Mm-hmm. But mm, I love is she really going to have her own life as the carer? for somebody else's elderly parents. It seems like not a great outcome for Libby. Yeah. Um, But Uh, the best developed characters are Charlie and Nora. Libby is uh, the catalyst or this kind of two one-dimensional character there to present this conflict for Nora. She's presented as this happy, kind, bubbly person Um, And I suppose she's put there as the sacrificial pawn because Nora sacrificed everything her whole life for Libby. Now it's Libby's turn to do the same. Yeah. I mean, how would you have done it? So you would have just had Nora go back? Yes, because, again, we're rubbing up against those romance tropes, but in real life people do make those decisions. And I think – they are romantic in a way as well. It's like we had something special here. The timing is not right. It's not going to happen. But what we had in Sunshine Falls was amazing. But it's not, you know, the romance genre. It really does present a problem, though. I can see how this would have been difficult. I mean, another way that it could have gone, surely, is that in understanding – I've forgotten the guy's name already. Charlie. Charlie. Um, in understanding Charlie's decisions, maybe Nora could have realized that in actual fact, you know, she she works really hard apparently for her, her sister's sake, wants to be an editor, staying with Charlie – and understanding his priorities, she could have made, in a sense, what she deems a selfish decision by staying with uh, them as well, becoming an editor. You can be an editor from afar. It's harder to be a literary agent from afar. But it seems like that would have potentially resolved the issue. Um, What I see in Libby 
is that she'd probably make a very good literary agent. Uh, in sort of, you know, getting people together and, uh, and negotiating these things and, and, you know, advocating for her client, sister Nora. Uh, I think that would have been a very entertaining en- ending if yeah. Libby had, had gone off. Uh, because there's nothing like Libby is just young, right? Like Nora's Libby looking is after young. her. Was there a, Oh, they're a couple of years younger. No, Libby is married and has kids, whereas Nora is single. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. So that would that would complicate matters. Although you know, maybe one of those great New York schools, and yeah, I don't know. I, but I feel oh, like and something I should probably like that. say that um, it's presented that Libby takes Nora to Sunshine Falls to find love for her. But Libby wanted Nora to experience Sunshine Falls because her husband, Libby's husband, is got a job in Sunshine Falls now. So they're planning on moving. And she wanted Nora to taste Sunshine Falls so she could potentially move there too and give up her life in New York as a literary agent and move to Sunshine Falls. Libby sounds devious. Like, like she's just, you know, like I need Nora with me. So I'm going to, because honestly, I mean, his son, like you want, you want your sister who, whose love life is not great. You take her to a small town, a limited pool of people. Uh, it doesn't seem necessarily like her motives are entirely pure. It, it feels like, uh, you know, she's just keeping her sister with her. That's interesting, actually. Yeah, I I don't know. So, yeah. So how, in the you end, know, you read it. I read it. Um, another strength was this was an easy book to read. Very easy. I went through it in about three, four days, and that is a testament to uh, Emily Henry, as she is clearly an experienced romance author because she has a lot of other books. And again, I wanted her, she almost did it. She had it set up to push the envelope on what it means to write a romance book. But she, there was just a few spots that just let it down. There was a few things, like you said, in terms of the editor, literary agent, just slightly unbelievable stuff that takes you away from the story. And I, I want the same as you. I want these authors, they're fantastic writers, just to push the envelope on what it means to pick up a romance and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that in, in, in fairness to both writers, if you're being a rom-com and not a rom-dram, romantic drama, uh, is that a thing, rom-dram? I just I felt like I coined it, but it sounded <laughs> terrible. And then I thought somebody else has probably already thought of it. If she'd gone off on her own, in terms of a romance structure where we want the characters to get together, that would potentially be a downbeat ending. Very hard to get around that. Um, particularly if Charlie would like to be with her, but he is obligated to stay. Uh, apparently he isn't. Um, I, I think that really is a complication. And I, I don't, I don't agree that her, just going back to New York and going, I'm doing this for me. I mean, that's a great ending, but is it a great romance book ending? I don't know. Obviously not. Yeah. And that's, that seems to be the, the thing that 
romance writers are going to have to come to grips with. How do you, how do you navigate like agency and uh, growth in a character whilst maintaining what is a very traditional um, sort of series of expectations and tropes? Uh, it's it's a fascinating question, actually, and I and I someone's going to do it. Someone's going to break the mold because it is a very rigid genre, probably the most rigid of the yes. genres. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe uh, it'll be I... you, Shannon. Maybe you'll maybe adopt a, uh, a, a secret identity as a romance writer and, and crack out a truly revolutionary romance novel. Yeah, well, our pen name is Alicia. Alice, it is. It is. Mm -hmm. Yes, we are in that competition. Will we win it? I don't think we will. But hopefully, (laughs) no, no. Hopefully, you know they'll kind of look at it and go, "Yeah, it's not bad." I'd be happy with that. Mm, Well, we're going to get feedback. That will be interesting. Um, Oh, it will be interesting. Yeah. Uh, What was I going to say? Oh, so how many stars? I was just about to get to that. So 3.5 stars, Ah, I think. 3.5. Yes. Okay. That's interesting because, yeah, I thought you were going to go lower. And I'd be, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it, to to flip around. Not going to do it because I'm almost romanced out, I feel. But uh, if I read Book Lovers and you read Honey and Spice and just to see uh, whether we would, having done a review already, in one way, what 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 our responses would be, yeah, because uh, it would be a it would be a pressured situation in some ways. Uh, but I want to avoid those. You know, we've done a first kiss, we've written a sex scene. I feel like I've been under a lot of pressure. Have you noticed the gray? It's getting worse. Yeah. So I'm ready. To, I'm ready to move into other topics like censorship. That should be fun and safe. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, just things like that. Because uh, what have we got coming up? Uh, we are going to be talking about censorship. So uh, we have very strong opinions on Roald Dahl's um, new editions of his book that I think we're going to be talking about. And also, did you want to mention our next book that we're going to be reviewing, Gareth? Yes, it was an exclusive. Uh, uh, this information was an exclusive for uh, one of our viewers. Uh, Jay. Hello to them. Uh, Jay, God, your memory's good. As soon as I need to remember a name, it just flitters out of my head. It's very annoying. Lucky you're here. Yes, Jay, that was uh, that was an exclusive for Jay. But now we're revealing it, which is uh, we're going to do Under the Skin by Michael Faber. Under the Skin is uh, a science fiction novel, although I think that's a very loose sort of categorization. Um, yeah, I would I would put it more in the in the vein of general fiction with just some sci-fi elements. This was made into a movie with uh, also forgetting her name, uh, Scarlett Johansson. Um, and uh, we might talk about the movie as well because the movie is a fascinating take on the book in in terms of trying to, in a sense, capture the texture of the book. It's it's a film that I think and we'll find out if I'm right about this, but I think it's a film that is very aware of the book. It isn't just like a great story. We'll do our own take on it. I think it's a conversation, a dialogue with the book. Yeah. 
So that should be a lot of fun. Very different, quite dark, uh, brooding. Uh, it should be. It should be really great. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And um, finally, we've ended the romance um, take topic, and I'm looking forward to jumping into other things. Yay! <laughs> yeah. So am I. So am I. It's been great being in romance, but it's also great leaving. And we'll see you all next week. On the pleasure of the text. 